This podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only. Copyright disclaimer under Section 107 of the Copyright Act of 1976. Allowance is made for fair use for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, education, and research. Fair use is a use permitted by copyright statute that might otherwise be infringing. All rights and credit go directly to its rightful owners. No copyright infringement intended. Welcome to episode F of My Guria. I'm your host, Jules Finley. And today we'll be discussing the same typical shit we always discuss on here. I wouldn't say it's a we, it's just me talking to, to whoever's listening. Uh, I go over a lot of musics and various shit I like to poke fun at. So there's going to be jokes, there's going to be talks of various F-related things. A bad job review, a movie review, a bad personal ad, all the shit that you absolutely love about my Gurria. You want to get comfortable, sit back, because this one's going to be a long episode. And sadly, it's going to be the last episode. Welcome to episode F of My Guria. And F stands for, well, me, Finley, Jules Finley, that is. And it also stands for, oh, this is fucked. I don't even know why I'm still recording this shit. I've already fucked up a couple of times with the audio, but that's besides the point. But what I'm really getting at is that F stands for finale, as in. This is going to definitely be the final episode. I know I said I was going to move to a different platform and whatever that shit was before because I had started a new job and whatever. Uh, No, I am just going to end this whole show with this episode because there really isn't any other. There's no point, really. I mean, I'm I'm losing listeners. I can only self-promote so much. I'm not going to suck dick to get you guys to listen. So I am, at this point, just going to record my last, I said before it was the last season, but I was, I guess, mistaken because I am definitely, this is going to be only one season. Six episodes, F as in the finale, final one. But the good thing about the letter F, other than the fuck word, because that's probably the word I use more than than any other word, (laughs) is that there's a lot of good music to play in this episode that starts with F. And that's not even just down to the bands that start with F, but I could play songs that that begin with the letter F too, which I plan on doing. Depends on who it is though. And I could fucking change my mind throughout. But I'm going to also throw in probably a few more songs by bands that never made it into the episodes because I never got to that part of the alphabet. Well, anyhow, based upon prior episodes of my Gurria, I do have some typical features. Yeah, it's another word. It starts with F. Features that I was showcasing throughout various episodes. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll keep a few of them, but I'll just go into like what I'm not going to go hunting for the um, shitty job. 
I'm not going to look for another shitty job to re-ramble about, even though I know that was one of the features that was well-liked because I can ramble on about the recent job that I was talking about in the last episode that I started and quit within the, within one week. <laughs> and yeah, that was one fucking shitty job. And I had to quit it because, well, I am very sick of being lied to. And I am usually really good at bullshit detecting. And I never get my hopes up about anything anyway, because I know I'm just setting myself up for fucking further disappointment because when is life ever truly fulfilling? (laughs) There goes that letter F again, fulfilling. But yeah, this job in particular was, (sighs) sorry, my nose is a little stuffy today. (sighs) Let me clear that shit out. It's really, um, it's cold here in Northeast Ohio where it's making my nose run. Of course, it could be all the fucking dust in my house and animals that fucking shed like crazy. But what the fuck was I talking about? Oh, yeah, shitty job. The shitty job that I took, I can't give specifics about what the job who, or what the company was or whatever because I signed so much fucking paperwork that I'd probably get sued even if no one heard what I had to say. I mean, that's just like the miles and miles of it. And there was like no fucking, I mean, t- in order to connect with um, HR, which HR is usually completely fucking useless anyway, but this was on a whole new fucking level of just fucked. (laughs) When I, okay, here's the deal. It was a work at home job, which during this COVID shit is surprised there was any job that was hiring, but that, you know, whatever. So this, this work at home job involved customer service work, and it was customer service where you had to, to uh, be a like a chat monitor, like, you know, somebody who helps people over chat instead of phones for a, a specific product. I can't really say what the product was. Well, I could, but I'm not going to say what the brand of it was, but it did have to do with cell phones. Holy fucking shit. I figured, oh, well, I don't actually have to fucking talk to people face to face or they won't be shouting in my ear. I figured, yeah, chat would be pretty fucking easy. And it probably would be easy. If fucking people weren't such fucking morons with the way they communicate with uh, uh, this use of basically hieroglyphics. And I mean rude hieroglyphics, crude ones. I'm talking about emojis mixed with made up acronyms, truncated words, misspelled shit. Just you, I can't even understand what the fuck people are saying anymore. It's ridiculous. This is the, the level of what our language has devolved to is is it's, it's grotesque. It really is. Getting a text, not really text, but like a chat question with somebody who only, I mean, seriously, what the fuck does a high-heeled shoe, a unicorn, and a fucking diamond ring, what does that even mean in conjunction with one another if they're asking a question? And that's serious. That's, that's, that's something that I saw as an example. And, and this is what we saw in training. And the trainer who was a prick, <laughs> fucking some smug millennial prick that really seemed to like to shame anybody that was older than him in the class. Obviously, I was one of those people that he fucking targeted. So, yeah, there was a there was a point where he calls on me to come up with an answer to this fucking passage of shit of how to answer a customer who wrote I, I still don't even remember what the hell it was. It was like everything was misspelled and most of it was, was emojis. And I go, I don't know what the hell this person's even saying. I don't even know how to answer this because I don't, I don't know what these emojis even stand for. And the guy starts laughing at me. 
I'm like, what? What's so funny? You know, like seriously, what? What did, did I miss a joke here? Because I don't understand what a fucking diamond ring, a unicorn, and a fucking high heeled shoe have to do with one another. Because I didn't know this was like, you know, trying to fucking answer riddles. And he's just like, are you just not familiar with emojis? I'm like, yeah, I rarely use them. I go, if I use them at all, I go, it's the ones with like fucking smiley faces or laughter or something to indicate a reaction to what somebody has said. I don't fucking tend to use, maybe I'll use the turd poop fucking emoji to indicate the, that I got fucking diarrhea again or something, but I'm not going to fucking communicate with anybody in, in stuff that you need a fucking Rosetta Stone to interpret between, you know, fucking moron and idiot, basically. And uh, the guy was just like, and I quote, you really need to stop being such a boomer. And I just kind of sat there for a moment. I'm like, boomer, huh? You mean a a generation of people that can, you know, fucking communicate with full sentences, with punctuation and grammar, and are understood that invented most of these fucking things that we're living off of now, you know? I didn't go into all that, but it was just like I said, what? Because I can actually communicate in a sense. And and then I go, by the way, you are really overshooting my age. I am not of the boomer era, kid. So it was just kind of like some animosity there between me and this trainer at that point. And it just, you know, it just went downhill even further. And he just told me, you sound too corporate, too corporate. You mean I actually can communicate? I can actually write a fucking sentence without like alluding to a visual marker that I don't even know what the fuck. I mean, the thing is, that's the thing with emojis. Some of them are so poorly done. Like the graphics in them are fucking terrible. And I'm going to fucking pick on that, of course, because of my useless work history as a graphic designer, which I have, I think it's time to basically divorce myself from that part of my life. I mean, sure, I can still continue to do artwork, but the whole graphic design fucking waste of money on a degree to only get jobs that require you to basically, I don't know, suck somebody's dick to get ahead because I never got ahead with any of it. Yeah, I'm fucking rambling here, but what's new? I always start these shows with some fucking monologue that never stops. But that's, you know, there was there was more to why this job was such a piece of shit. And it really, I mean, the, oh, the thing that really, what was the nail in the coffin that made me quit was we had to learn a, well, it wasn't like they were going to teach us this. There was a software platform called Salesforce, and some of you may know what that is. And I've only heard of it, but I've never actually used it. I've never had any reason to use it in my work history. Even though I have to deal with customers, that is not something that has ever come up in my entire fucking 30 years I've been paying taxes on my employment. Customer service was... I mean, when I used to do it in the 90s, it was a lot different. Not really. I mean, you still do the same shit, but it's like there was just different platforms, different technology to do it with. But the Salesforce thing, apparently some major connected cloud fucking based program that, you know, it's very thorough. I'm not going to say that it's a bad program. It's just that it has a lot of shit in it. And they never mentioned anywhere in the job description, job interview requirements, nothing that I was supposed to know the software package. Or not even package. I can't even say it's a package. It's just like a, it is basically its its own fucking, it's, they call them CRMs as far as what kind of software family they are. And I just don't, I just don't know them. I, what the, why the fuck would I? I wouldn't even have fucking applied for this job, had this information, but put up front. And granted, yeah, I mean, I was 
jazzed with the idea that they provided me with the equipment to work on at home, the hardware, but the hardware was fucking junk. The shit fucking barely operated. It was breaking down constantly. It wouldn't connect to their VPN. Their fucking, it was 80, oh my God, the amount of fucking passwords I would need to get in a 20 pretty much different systems because the company I worked for was basically, we, we were like a company that is a customer service company that other companies outsource their customer service to us. So they just, they didn't have seamlessness across their accounts. That's, that's a nice way of putting it because there's really no nice, I shouldn't say anything nice about them, but other than the fact that they suck <laughs> and that's as nice as I'm going to get. But this whole Salesforce thing, we get, we're in training and this trainer shows us, walks through Salesforce with basically spends a half hour on it. And I just had to interject. I'm like, wait, are we supposed to know this program? I, I was under the impression that this was full training. He's like, you don't know Salesforce? Where have you been? I'm like, uh, working in other industries that are apparently um, not using Salesforce. So uh, was it was this a requirement? Because I, I don't think I'm the only one that's never used this program before. And several other people that were like in different age brackets were all chiming in. They're like, yeah, we don't know this. And he's just like, well, I don't got time to train you on this and just moved on. I'm like, okay, so basically our whole system that we're working off of to maintain, to, to, to log into the system, to go into the chat windows, to service the customers, this is all basically set up through fucking Salesforce and you're not even going to fucking, you're just going to show us what our login part is and then you're gonna like like just have us like fucking run free with it i mean i had and i had such a fucking migraine that day too i was just like i when i went on one of my lunch break which was fucking late you know that was another thing the first fucking day i worked there they made me um work two hours over and didn't pay me for it i should have just quit that day but you know i didn't want to sound like a fucking baby and just you know quit before anything goes i was just like all right it's probably because of the fucking technology problems i'll just let it go I'm not fucking letting anything go anymore. I'm, I'm just so sick of getting fucked with. I really am. I mean, I'm so sick of fucking just absolute fucking lies. And, you know, of course, I mean, like, I don't want to piss off my husband because, you know, he's the one who's working his ass off throughout this whole fucking pandemic. Anyhow, um, what was I fucking talking about? This shit ass job. I just, I'd had enough of this little fucking punk and his bullshit in this company with their, their absolute bullshit with their not being straight with what we were supposed to know up front. Just throw us to the fucking wolves because they, they basically probably would hire anybody, honestly. Because, I mean, I some of the fucking people I saw in my training class. Because we were all on, you know, camera. We were fucking, because it was all, it was virtual at stay at home. We're all on camera. We're all in fucking Zoom meetings. There's like fucking 30 heads on the screen. I'm seeing people that look like they've never seen the inside of a fucking shower, you know, like, oh, that's, that's nice. Even though they said, and the fucking day one, it's like, yeah, this, when you're on camera, don't be casual where, you know, business attire. I, apparently I was the only one who fucking did that. I don't know enough about that. This, this is making me mad even thinking about all this shit, but I'm talking about this in lieu of the shitty job segment that I would normally do also kind of. Just sort of winging this show. I'm kind of going going into this without much of a fucking plot outline, you know, like I typically do. Not that there's that much of a plot over an outline, but I don't over. I tend to do this with an outline so I can kind of follow my own train of thought. And I don't. I don't really give a fuck if if you guys are getting bored, but by my by my rambling. <sighs> Anyhow, so what the fuck was I talking about? Yeah, so I quit that one. But I do have another job 
that I will be starting in on February 1st. And yes, it is another at-home job. And I, I don't have my hopes up for this either. But given they're more up, that this company was extremely upfront about what I needed to know and what I and what wasn't going to be supplied to me and whatever. And I had managed to get two job offers from two different companies of the same sort of ilk in the same day. And this wasn't nearly as easy of a process as it was to get hired at the other one, which I said, I think they'd fucking hire anybody. This one, these other two positions that I got offered, they, they had higher standards much higher standards, more like how fucking normal job interviews go when they fucking actually do background checks on you other than a piss test. <sighs> so that I start in February 1st, and that's going to be dealing with a, um, and here we go with the letter F, fraud investigations in banking, like credit cards specifically. Because I really do think people who fucking rip off other people's credit cards by skimming or whatever, however, they're just security breaches. These people are fucking scum. And I feel bad for people that get their information hijacked. It's happened to me before, but luckily I, I had a credit card that alerted me to the problem before it got out of hand and I wasn't responsible for anything. So I do believe that that, that system works. Yes, it can be circumvented. And yes, people are doing that. But there needs to be people that know how to deal with customers with fraudulent charges on their cards. And I, you know, I can get behind that. That's a hell of a lot better than trying to fucking do emoji speak with some moron about their fucking, you know, whatever cell phone it is. But enough about that. I have, I have been ram rambling on here for almost fucking, I don't know, what, 15, 20 minutes. I'm not paying attention anymore. Throat's getting dry already. <laughs> but anyhow, where am I going with this fucking shit? Hmm. I guess we should play some music. And with the letter F, like I said, I got a lot of good shit in my collection that starts with F. And well, let's see. Who will I start with here? I got it. Let's play Fad Gadgets, Collapsing New People, on Migoria. Blood, blood, 
Did you guys hear about the cannibal that made a bunch of businessmen into a pot of chili? I guess he liked seasoned professionals.
All right, we're back with My Gurria, and you just actually heard two songs, because I decided to play two different songs by two different fucking fantastic artists that begin with F, and two things that uh, I think I roughly found around the same time. So yeah, the first you heard was Fad Gadget's Collapsing New People from the 1984 Gag album, and that's off of Mute Records. I remember when I found Fad Gadget's collapsing, well, not collapsing new people, gag. I also found uh, a copy of Under the Flag. And I'm not sure what the hell was going on in like the early 90s, probably around maybe 92, 93-ish, where there was all all these sort of like overstocks of independent or imported albums. I don't know. I kept finding them in like bargain bins and bargain bins more specifically at Camelot Music that they used to have in like the local malls, which was a store that even though it was a wasn't a used store, it was a store that, you know, their fucking bargain bins were the shit. I can't believe how much stuff I found in them. And yeah, uh Fad Gadgets, Gag and Under the Flag, I both bought on the same day because they were, I believe, twenty-five cents, maybe fifty cents a piece. And I didn't know what the hell they were. I just looked at them. Thought they had an interesting name. And it's not really a they. It's one guy. It's Frank Tovey, another F. And unfortunately, Frank Tovey is no longer amongst the living, which sucks is because he actually fucking actually created something interesting on his own fucking terms and without any, you know, bullshit. Guy was a guy was very ballsy. But speaking of more ballsiness and to talk about the other song I played, that came from Fetus and that was I'm Surrounded by Incompetence from the 1981 Def album. And technically it's You've Got Fetus on Your Breath was the name of the artist, but it's really just Fetus. And many people who know me know what a ridiculous like amount of fandom I've had towards Fetus over the years. And I could have easily played something that was better as far as like, you know, composition difficulty, you know, as far as like, you know, what, what has more layers to it, which, which, which you can tell he probably put more work into because Fetus has yet like Fad Gadget, another one man band, that being uh, J.G. Thurwell. So yeah, a lot of people know I've been a fan of him for, well, as, probably as long as I've been a fan of Fad Gadget because he was yet another one I came across in a bargain bin at Camelot Music and having no fucking idea who he was or they, because I looked at that when I found it, I thought it was a band, not a one person musical entity. I came across Sync, which is a compilation of sorts that came out around 1990. I was intrigued by the album's artwork and because it just stood out to me. It's this very bold red, black and white with strange typography of what, you know, of fetus, of what says fetus. And then for those who don't know, uh, it, is, it is spelled the correct way, F-O-E-T-U-S. It's the sort of almost like image of like this gross baby. It, I don't know, like really kind of, it's more, it's like subtle, but it was just, it's in the image. There's also some, you know, it was like, all of it's very jarring and I didn't know what the fuck it was. I'm like, 25 cents. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll fucking give this a shot. And actually a lot of things I'll be playing, not a lot that I'm playing tons, but there'll be things I'll be playing in this, this, this episode that are things I found ages ago, all around when I was in high school that I still like and found just by digging in bargain bins. 
and yeah, Fad Gadget Fetus are both examples of that. I'd say I became a bigger Fetus fan because it's just Jim Thurwell is all over the place. I mean, he shows up in places you don't even expect him to show up. You don't even realize how much overlap he's done. And the man is extremely brilliant. I'm not going to deny that. And I, I unfortunately, I've never actually seen a Fetus concert. I've seen him perform under Manorexia, one of his other uh, projects, as well as uh, Steroid Maximus when he did that in uh, New York City with a full band ensemble. You know, I've met the man a couple times. I'll just leave it at that because, you know, it sounds like I'm fucking name dropping at this point. I could play probably shit. I mean, he's like I said, he does have better work than I'm surrounded by incompetence. But that fucking song is so goddamn true. And it does tie also in with what where I've worked, where I live, just the shit. You know, it's like some people are just fine. He's basically eating shit and accepting that it sucks. You know, give them a fucking a Big Mac and a fucking episode of The Voice. You know, just something that's just so fucking, God, just bad taste. And and I'm not saying that I have the most developed taste of anybody around, but it is pretty fucking good. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this, but I definitely, I could have easily, like I said, I could have played something newer by Fetus, but I thought I'd go back to well it was it's not his first album it was his second album i liked death better than ache personally and if anyone's actually interested in other fetus items you know if you like that and you want to hear something was just as same sort of humor same sort of spastic qualities he definitely uh, aged very well as far as his maturity within music definitely and, and, and he never but he never got never got limp with it you know uh, that's definitely where I'll give him credit. His, his music never turned into like just fucking limp shit, you know? <laughs> he still churns out an incredible amount of work. And, um, you know, he doesn't cut corners. Guy does, you know, he goes fucking bends over backwards for himself to achieve something he hadn't done before that. And I can't say that that's that common for a lot of other, you know, artists or musicians. But anyhow. I'm going to move on here. And uh, uh, I was going to say, though, like since the last episode, yeah, there's been some some fucking changes in this world. Well, not really. And nothing nothing has actually fucking changed yet. But yeah, last episode was before the election. And yeah, it turned out pretty much as I thought it would. (sighs) Fuck, why am I even talking about politics? I fucking hate politics. (sighs) Fuck it. I'm not going to talk about that. Let's talk about music again. Oh, another thing I was usually talking about is like a movie or TV review. Yeah, I've watched some movies since the last episode. Let me think of one that I've watched that's worth talking about. But in the interim, let's play something that uh, starts with F, or at least a musician, whatever, starts with F, that's, that's worth th- worth my while, worth your while listening to. It's something later in his career. This is uh, Brian Ferry, and um, if you know who he is, you know he's from Roxy Music. I kind of think he's underrated. Some people, I think, in the UK or whatever would think he was overrated. Well, I'm telling you, in the United States, he's underrated. The song I'm going to play is from his 2010 album of Olympia. The song is Alphaville, here on My Guria.
drunk as the Pope on a dead afternoon Minding your business when somebody burned a bank It's funny how money can go up in smoke Everyone's got food and nobody left to thank In your Swiss account It's tough to be chic When you live in a cardboard box And the radio playing The same old bad news Jingles remind you Your savings are in your sock Surprising the devil invented revenge. Ah, oh, but every good captain goes down with the ship. You paid for the movie, you might as well see the end. We're back with my Gurria, and you just heard, yep, another two songs. I decided to kind of put the songs more back-to-back in this episode because I actually want to play more music, and it's not all going to be stuff that starts with F, but the last two obviously did, and the first one I played was Brian Ferry, and that was Alphaville off of Olympia that came out in 2010, 
And the second song I played was by Firewater, uh, Ex Millionaire Mambo, from their International Orange album from 2012. And uh, both of those entities I just played, Brian Ferry as well as Firewater, are acts that I have not only seen more than once, but I have photographed more than once. Every single time, it's been a fucking blast, you know? Actually, especially with um, Brian Ferry being the fact that, you know, he's pretty fucking highbrow, you know what I mean? And his team of people were probably the most professional as well as the most accommodating for a photographer coming in to, you know, shoot a show for the press. A lot of times, you know, you get fucking disorganization, people not knowing who the hell you are, you got to show your credentials, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes you show up there and they're like, uh, well, uh, let me talk to so-and-so and they walk away from the door and then you never see anybody again. And the Brian Ferry shows that I had done, and they were both took place at Playhouse Square in Cleveland. And the first one I saw was for that the Olympia tour, 2010, and then uh, I saw another one in 2017. Actually, no, it wasn't 2010. It was 2011 I saw the Olympia tour. The album came out in 2010, Pardon Me. Um, and then I saw him again in 2017 for, I believe, the Avonmore tour. And fucking both times, Jesus Christ. I had never thought I'd see him at all. So the fact that not only did I see him twice, since he's not somebody who plays the United States often, but the fact I saw him twice and I saw him in Cleveland, just sort of, when I think about it in hindsight, sort of fucking blows my mind a little bit and uh firewater is another one that i've seen three times photographed every time that i've seen them twice from the same venue the first time i uh, photographed them was back in 2003 when i was still working with film and um i was just actually going through my my uh negatives as of recently and i took i i, I took the Firewater show, all in black and white, because I think that was the only fucking film I could actually afford at the time. Uh, it was, like, cheaper than buying color, and the um, getting it processed, you know, I couldn't afford to get it processed, so I just used the lab at school, because I, I was still going to school at uh, Fredonia at the time. And even though I wasn't a photo major, I still had access, because I, I was an art student, so I had, an ex I had access to uh, pretty much every lab on the campus, so, oh, I took fucking full advantage of that. So, yeah, I have that, and the second time I saw them, shit, I think it was for the International Orange Tour, and I believe it was around, oh, 2012-ish. I can't remember anymore. Uh, no, 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 actually, it was the album before that. I, I would say that I probably saw them sometime around 2008 or nine. I don't know. I saw them at the Beachland Ballroom in, in Cleveland, which is such a fucking shithole. I'm not going to be shedding any tears when, when that fucking place doesn't, if it doesn't reopen after all this COVID shit is let up. That fucking place. I don't care who the hell's played there. And I have seen some fabulous fucking bands play there, but man, I hate that fucking venue. God, what a fucking shithole. Um, and the other time that I saw Firewater was in, uh, yeah, actually it was the International Orange. That was, that was the last time. It was around 2012 or 13. I think it was 2013. It was before my back surgery. I know that. And uh, that was at the Grog Shop in Cleveland. And actually, the first time I saw them, it was also at the Grog Shop. And I definitely prefer that venue as opposed to um, the Beachland. But unfortunately, from what I have been hearing on the news, that the Grog is definitely not going to be reopening if COVID ever fucking lets up, which is a shame. Because it's not that it's that easy of a venue to get to from any fucking area. It's just that it's one of the few that 
I don't know. I, I always liked that one better as far as venues in the area. It's hard to say why because it's dark. I mean, first first time I ever was at the place. I think I've actually come to think of it. I think the first show I ever saw there was that Firewater one. I could be wrong. I can't remember. I'm getting fucking old. I can't remember all this shit distinctly anymore. Yeah, and I haven't. I've only talked about here and there when uh, on, on these various um, podcasts of my area. I haven't really talked extensively about the concert photography I've done over the years. And I really miss doing it, I have to admit. But I don't see how the hell I'm ever going to be able to do it again. I mean, this COVID is freaking decimated. I mean, and it's like I am such a low head on the totem pole here in, in the scheme of where this has kind of fucked people. But, you know, I don't see how the hell concerts are going to be going on even after, you know, everyone gets the fucking vaccine. I mean, what the hell is going to still be standing? I mean, maybe, maybe MGM's concert hall the one i was supposed to be working at this year maybe that'll reopen but because that at least has some better financial backing behind it but i just shit i don't know it's fucking it's fucking sucks but enough about you know how fucking much that sucks because i think i've kind of covered that ad nauseum uh so let's see well since we kind of played two f songs why don't we go into our segment about the shitty personal ad this one was forwarded to me, and I believe it comes from OKCupid. This particular person is located in Tokyo, Japan, yet is American. And here we go. First of all, her self-summary has a bunch of Japanese characters, as well as some emojis. Okay, if she's in Japan, I, I get it. But there's a translation next to it. It says... Simply put, I'm a bitchy, opinionated feminist killjoy. What a catch right there. I mean, she's just basically spelling it out for you that she's a fucking horrible cunt. I'm not even a little bit chill. If you don't think the humanities are important, please don't waste my time or anyone else's, really. Read a damn book. Okay, let's move on here. I'd like to be known for my hand in the destruction of the neoliberal patriarchal establishment. I don't know why this person's like looking to date men if this is her fucking motto. Because like no, my, no man is going to go, oh, let, let me get on some of that. All right. Additionally, I'm really good at more characters in Japanese. Headbanging in such a way that I can continue to do so for at least five hours on and off. So she's got a skull that's empty. That's pretty much what I'm going to leave at that. Oh, yeah, and rallying against neoliberalism and the patriarchy. <laughs> Holy shit. All right. The first thing people notice about me, more Japanese characters, the fact that I shave half of my head, surely. Uh, maybe it's your just the fact you're a cunt. <laughs> and I could tell by looking at her picture that somebody would think she was a cunt even before she opened her mouth. So smug. Favorite books, movies, shows, music, and food. Buck Tick. Which I, I know who that is. Um, Dies? Dies? I don't know. Deer and Gray, Hide, Death Gaze, Dada, More, Amirer, Sue, Sarmath, Stereo CK, Hologram, Sex Android, Lip Lick, or Lip Lich, whatever. Lip Lich? I don't even know what this fucking asshole is talking about. All right. Bisexual woman single monogamous. Uses she, her pronouns. 5'8", curvy. White? No kidding. 
politically liberal, speaks English, Japanese, and Spanish, agnostic, and is a Taurus, doesn't smoke cigarettes, drinks sometimes, never smokes marijuana, is an omnivore, doesn't have kids, doesn't want them, doesn't have pets. <sighs> Such the caring type. And then finally, looking for men for short and long-term dating and hookups. What does she mean by hookup? Like stringing the guy off of a meat hook and just slicing off his fucking genitals to eat? Because she said she's an omnivore, so that means she does eat meat. I'd, I'd like to know what guy looked at this and was like, hell yeah, I'm, I'm going to respond. She seems like a nice girl. You know, and the thing is, back when I was a single, single girl, I used to get shit for swearing too much. That was a, that was a big, very big no-no for, I don't know, men were just like really turned off by that. Apparently a lot has fucking changed. <laughs> not that she swore a lot in this, but the things she's, she's saying, not even just her, some of the other ones I've read, it's just like, how, how is this shit, how, how are people like getting to this point of being beyond unapproachable? You know, it's like you fucking wonder why you're single. If, if this is the type of like shit you're projecting, then it's it's so obvious that you're going to stay single because you have nothing to offer anyone. So just get yourself a fucking dildo, get off of the fucking dating apps and go fuck yourself. And that's uh, this episode's shitty personal ad on my Garia. What's six inches long and starts with a P? A turd. Think about it. As I'd been saying before, this uh, this recording I'm doing of the last episode of My Agria has taken place after Christmas, and it's in the middle of some various shitty things going on worldwide, as I've already mentioned before, but there was one that happened recently that I found a bit more interesting, and it seems like it's not even the new year yet, and people have already fucking forgot about it, and it's like this bombing that occurred in downtown Nashville. No one knows what the fuck they're talking about, apparently, because everyone wants to put their goddamn political spin on why this guy did what they, he did. And I love that so far, none of that has come to light. And I hope it stays that way. I hope this guy was just a miserable guy that committed suicide. And that was pretty much the extent of it, except that he destroyed a bunch of buildings along the way. Maybe he hit like a financial pocket that had been screwing him or something. I don't know. But no one died except for him thus far. From what the news reports have indicated, but everyone wants to fucking point the finger to something other than this guy. <laughs> you just fucking stop it. You guys have no fucking idea what you're talking about. Because if you did know what you were talking about, then you'd be kind of suspicious now, wouldn't you? So just, you know, just stop with your conspiracy theory fucking nut job shit. But then again, yeah, that has died down a bit. And I think it's just because... Oh, no, I couldn't point to my most hated fucking adversary right now to blame it on. <sighs> Joke's on you, assholes. Ha 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 ha. Anyhow, let's play some more music. And the music I'm going to continue with 
is another F entity, and this would be Marianne Faithful. And Marianne Faithful, she's not known for having a great singing voice. She's more known for being Mick Jagger's girlfriend, being absolutely gorgeous, and having a really bad drug problem. But she has put out an enormous amount of work throughout her life. And she does pick good, very good collaborators to work with. And, um, you know, she sort of lost her way during the 70s. She was putting out things, but it was kind of being ignored, which it wasn't, which shouldn't have been because her 70s shit was actually really great. But I'm glad that she's finally, like, I guess, recognized for just being more than, you know, a pop icon of the 60s who was more like eye candy. Granted, she was fucking gorgeous. And you know what? She's still she's still a great looking woman. I mean, she may she may be old. She's got a lot of health problems, and I feel bad for her because I'll probably even be in even worse shape when I hit her age. But she's still a beautiful woman. And I'm gonna play a song that <laughs> this is the one that sold me on her. I already kind of liked her anyway, and I was always kind of discouraged against liking her because you know when I was growing up, my mom fucking hated her. <laughs> Most of the time I see eye to eye with my mom on a lot of, uh, especially music things, a lot of things that, you know, she likes, I appreciate too, but man, she fucking hated Marion Faithful. That's just because my mom was a huge Stones fan and she hated anybody that was fucking the Stones, <laughs> which I find funny. But, uh, cause I remember one day I brought home a Marion Faithful record back in the nineties and she's just like, what the fuck do you have that for? <laughs> Yeah, I fucking laugh in hindsight. It's like, Mom, why do you have a problem with this woman? She didn't do anything to you other than, well, <laughs> fuck Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, Brian Jones, from <laughs> from at least what, what she admits to in her autobiography. I, I didn't even get through the whole thing. Anyhow, uh, the song I'm going to play is from her 1979 Broken English album. Here's Why'd You Do It here on My Korea. Pero más 
And we're going to end the F music portion of artists that start with the letter F in this last finale edition of Migria with a very, very, very underrated artist um, who goes by the name of Gavin Friday. And Gavin Friday is someone I absolutely fucking adore. For someone who hasn't had that many solo releases, Jesus Christ, it makes up with uh, quality over quantity because 
you know, there are plenty of artists who can put out a lot of work and not all of it's good. <laughs> Gavin Friday's not one of them. He's one of those that puts out extremely fucking perfected quality of what he's capable of, of creating. And it's, and he's so under the radar yet he could, you know, he could very well if he was, if he was the type that compromised, which he is uncompromising, which is exactly fucking why I love his work. Um, he could very well just say, hey, Bono, because him and Bono are like best buds lifelong. <laughs> Throw me some money and I'll just put out a fucking record every five minutes. <laughs> he could very well do that. He runs in, in circles of people that with circles of people who are <laughs> who have some power in the music world. But I applaud him for not fucking doing that. I mean, it was the closest he came to that was just being on the same label that U2 was on, Island Records, once upon a time. But he was dropped, which was bullshit because there was other things that were kept on the label that were shit. But the uh, the fact of the matter is, is that he he is continuously, and it, it might not be often, his albums have large spans, gaps of time in between them. But none of them, have, it's like I can't find fault anywhere. <laughs> And I've tried. I just can't do it. I just like it that much. And I was going to say, when I did discover Gavin, again, when I mentioned before about bargain bins and finding stuff that you don't know why it ended up in a bargain bin in the first place, that was one that I found not in a 25-cent Camelot Records bargain bin. Oh, K Killer just came to join us. Um, anyhow, it didn't. It wasn't in one of those bargain bins. It was actually in a bin of used vinyl records at this one store in the shitty town I grew up in, Rome, New York. And I found it when I was 15. It's when I was on a splurge of buying shit with my lunch money because I was just starving myself. I'd get, you know, a fucking dollar a day and I would just save it up and try to buy something for myself at the end of the week. <laughs> maybe, maybe babysit somebody's bratty kids once in a while and have fucking money that way, but, yeah. I, I wasn't rolling in it like most fucking kids I knew. So anyhow, I was at the store at the time. It was called Listen Up. <laughs> what a stupid name. Oh, wait, no. No, I think it was called Music Plus at first, and then it changed its name to Listen Up. Whatever, one of the two. And it was like a used store in town. And yeah, I was able to get a lot of, lot of shit there that ended up in a weird manner over the years, just... I'd like to know who the hell turned some of this stuff in, to be honest with you, because it's like, I didn't know other people in the town that, that listened to Gavin Friday. But anyhow, that's, I found him by accident. I was flipping through a bin that had records like five for a dollar. And I was, you know, trying to get five records for a dollar, just to try to find fine things that I'd want. And I remember some of the things I got that day, I think it was like the Orb little white fluffy cloud single which apparently it's worth a lot a lot of money now but it's it's, fuck, it's a fucking orb it's lame i remember i also had picked up gene loves jezebel's immigrant again i don't know how the fuck that ended up i mean some of their other ones i could see ended up in that in the in the dollar bin but that one is like such a hard one to come by in hindsight i don't have it anymore which that's the one i probably should have kept over the years over the over some of the other ones but yeah i needed the money i needed to sell it on ebay at some point and there was a couple other things like, oh, I think like the farm, the stupid band that sang Groovy Train. And uh, 
one last thing was, oh, great, my animals are fighting as I'm as I'm talking about this. I can't remember the other piece of shit that I bought, but the thing is that none of the other things I bought, and the last thing, oh, wait, no, I do still have it. I think it was um, all about Eve's second album. Not second, maybe first album. I don't know. I think the, the one that was self-titled, so I think that must be the first one, and I do still have that one. Uh, the uh, So the fifth album I bought just to round it out, by looking at what was in there, most of the shit was like fucking Bob Seger and <sighs> Foghat. Same shit I find in the fucking bargain bins now that nobody fucking made. They made way too many copies of and, and nobody wants unless you're a fucking idiot. So last album was the Gavin Friday and the man Caesar. Each man kills the thing he loves. Now, I didn't know who the fuck that was. I just looked at the cover and the cover had is one of those Anton Corbin grainy black and white photos. Very evocative. Uh or provocative for that matter. And it's, there's a lot of mystery going on in the image. And there's just like something about, and Gavin's not even like, a, he's on the cover, but he's not like he's some pinup boy on it. He's in the center, but also subtle. And I, you know, I just flipped, flipped, flipped over the album. So, you know, I, whatever, I'll, I'll give this one a shot. It was like the last one out of that bunch I was probably ever going to like sit down and listen to. But I do remember when I finally got around to listening to it, Fucking like in the middle of January, because I remember the weather was so fucking bad. Couldn't go anywhere. School was closed, which they rarely closed school, even though we had a fucking avalanche in upstate New York almost every day. But I'm like, all right, I've got nothing to do and I'm building my collection. All right, I'll sit down and listen to this one finally. I don't have any homework. Not that I fucking cared about homework. I usually did it all in study hall anyway. So I'm, I listened to, I put it on the first song. Each man kills the thing he loves. I sat there. I'm like, holy shit. This is fucking amazing. And I played the song over and over again a couple times. And I'm just like, this, who the hell is this? This is fucking amazing. (laughs) And I let the whole album play. And I just was, I was just, I remember I was staring out the window, watching the snow pile up while I was laying in my bed, listening to this album. And I'm like, this fucking album, this has got to be one of the best things I've ever heard. And that's saying a lot, considering how most of my collection was Kinks, and I obviously think highly of the Kinks over every other artist out there. So I'm thinking this is like this album is on par with you know something that I love as much as the Kinks. And that's like I said, that's saying a lot. And you know, and I had other things at the time like Morrissey and Depeche Mode, and I was really into them. But I'm like, this album fucking stood out like balls on a dog. <laughs> It was so fucking good. And I was at, you know, I went, I remember going to school, you know, and I'd talk music with some of my friends. I'm like, hey, you guys ever hear of Gavin Friday? Nobody fucking knew who the hell I was talking about. Like that conversation fell on deaf ears. Everyone was into fucking Pearl Jam or whatever, or, you know, New Order. That was another one I, I never fucking understood why anybody ever got into them. Such a fucking boring band. So it's like, it was either you had people who were into grunge or people into snooty synth pop and, and The Cure. Or, or Nine Inch Nails. It's just like, God, I couldn't, I couldn't fucking relate to anybody. I tried. <laughs> it's like maybe four people that I still talk to. Oh, no, I can't say still talk to. I just talk to more than that. But I mean, as far as four, four people that I would still talk to about music, that's for sure. So anyhow, the song I'm going to play is off of, and it's okay, let me just say, picking a Gavin Friday song is extremely hard. <laughs> They're all so fucking good. <laughs> and I do think overall his best album was 1995 Shag Tobacco. It was an album that was so good that I, I had to buy it for other people 
to let them know, like, you don't know what the fuck you're missing. Listen to this album. This album is fantastic. And everybody I played that for at that point later in my life, not when I was in high school, but after I was out of high school, they all agreed with me. They're like, this is an amazing fucking album. Who is this guy? I'm like, he's just, he's just a singular entity. Of course, he had uh, Maurice Caesar, who was his, you know, obviously his more musical, um, what do you want to call it? Like protege working with him exclusively. And it was their work together was unfucking believable. And the song I'm going to end up playing is as much as I should play something on Shag Tobacco. Oh, actually, you know, before I go into that, I got to talk about (laughs) the time I met Gavin Friday. (laughs) Because this shit's fucking hilarious. There's such a story attached to this one. It's worth sharing. All right. Back in 1999, I was uh, in college at the time. I was going to school. I was in Utica. I was going to school for graphic arts. And I had heard about this show that popped up called the St. Um, excuse me, not the St. Anne's, the Harry Smith Project that was taking place at St. Anne's in Brooklyn. And this was a bill that I had heard about Nick Cave and Gavin Friday both being on. Now, Utica is not close to New York City. It's at least five hours to drive there before you hit the Bronx. <laughs> so it's always a fucking pain they ass to drive to New York City no matter what. Anyhow, so of the friends that I had at the time, the only one that was reliable was Tom. Yeah, my friend, and I, he's the one I showcased in the episode, a couple episodes back with his matchmaker rant. He was the only one that was reliable, had a job, had a car, was willing to make a trip for something like this because he and I would share so many, you know, musical bands with each other that, you know, if I didn't know, he knew and vice versa. He was definitely a person, a person I'll always regard as somebody who was extremely knowledgeable about music, but never a fucking asshole about it. And I hope he, I hope he could say the same thing for me. Cause it was kind of like, we, we were almost like brother and sister with the way we, uh, would <laughs> like fucking twins that would share the same fucking thought processes there for a while. Anyhow, so Tom and I drove down to the show. We didn't have much money between the two of us and the tickets to the show were $75 a piece because it was a, it was a basically a benefit show. And there was all these different acts on the bill too. So we get there and, you know, it was one of the, the, the times I saw Sonic Youth, but luckily this wasn't the worst occasion I saw them on. But there was some other shit that had happened that night that I would like to just take a big giant shit on, which would be Lou Reed. <laughs> he was fucking awful and acting like he was doing everybody a favor by being there. So I rem- also remember I had the fucking rag so bad that I thought I was going to pass out. <laughs> I did not want to use a public restroom, but you have to, especially in New York City. You're, you're limited to where you can go. So anyhow, after Gavin's performance, which we'd already seen every uh, everybody we wanted to see that night after he was done. So we're like, all right, we should get back on the road, head up. We knew it was going to be a long journey to get back to back up to Utica. So we walked to the fucking garage where we parked the, the car and the car- garage was locked. We couldn't get back in there until fucking seven o'clock in the morning. And it was probably around 11 p.m., 12 o'clock at night at that point. We're like, fuck, can't get in the car. Neither one of us had enough money to get a hotel either. And we're freezing. So I remember it was in November. So we <laughs> we walked back to St. Anne's Church because we are, you know, we, we had ticket stubs where we can get back in there. 
figured, all right, well, at least we could do is watch the end of the show, even if it's stuff we don't give a fuck about, and at least stay warm for a couple more hours or whatever. Because like I said, it was a benefit show with tons of people on it. So at that point, I'm like, Jesus Christ, I got to go to the fucking bathroom. And so Tom's like, yeah, my fucking back teeth are floating too. So we had back, went to the bathroom area, which where it was in St. Anne's was basically the backstage area. So we walked back there. We see various people about. Tom's like, I, I'm going to go take a piss. The men, For whatever reason, the men's bathroom was a, a, a lot less than, than the women's. So I'm standing there by myself, and all of a sudden I see Gavin. I'm like, oh, fuck. And I'm like, do I say something to this man? <laughs> so I'm. I, Tom comes out of the bathroom, and I'm like, look. He's like, go talk to him. I'm like, you. He's like, hell no, you fucking go talk to him. <laughs> It's like, you're the, you're the fucking hot, you're the diehard. He goes, I think he's great, but you better go talk to him or I'm going to kick your ass. So I get the balls to go over and say hello to Gavin. And I am so fucking tongue tied. I don't even know what the hell I'm even saying to him. I can barely remember what I said. Just hey, he fucking knew it too. <laughs> he knew I was fucking stumbling over my own shit and that I was totally starstruck. He was eating that shit up. So at some point, like, I ask him, I'm like, all right, no one's going to fucking believe this. Can I get a picture with you? Because I had a fucking shitty snappy, snappy pocket camera in my in my, uh, in my purse. Not that I could p- take pictures of anything at the show, but just in case. And he's like, oh, of course, take three. And um, <laughs> so he says to me, because so how long have you and your mister begin, been together? And he's talking, referring to Tom and I. I'm like, what? No, no, we're not together. We're friends. And Tom's laughing as he's taking the pictures. And then... Um, Fucking Tom says, come on, Gavin, give her, give her a kiss. And then all of a sudden he plants one on the, on the side of my face. And I, the picture is frozen in time with the shock that I was in. (laughs) And yes, when people say pictures or didn't happen, I got pictures. It did happen. I'm actually getting embarrassed talking about this because it's so fucking fangirl shit, but it's the truth. I think I've babbled far too long about this and I'll just get right into the song I was going to play. And the song I'm going to play is from his first album, Each Man Kills the Thing He Loves. And in this whole fucking process, I never once mentioned that he was an ex-member of the Virgin Prunes. That's okay. I'm, I'm focusing on his solo stuff, not his prior work. Back to what I was saying. Yes. So I am going to play from Each Man Kills the Thing He Loves from 1989, the song Dazzle and Delight. I love this fucking one. Here, I'm my Gurria. as if gold fell from her mouth You can watch, watch me crawl Up and down, down the wall I feel icy I feel cold Change like a venom snake. It's no one's fault, my mistake. I know the reason, I know why. Here comes, here comes, here comes that sinking feeling. 
down Here comes, here comes Here comes that sinking feeling Pay your cash for a new disease Kiss this beast Fall in love with the greatest Yes, and we are back. And uh, after, you know, I finished up the F block of everything that I was going to play of bands or musical solo artists that start with the letter F. And from here on out, I am going to play just whatever the fuck I want to play by stuff that would have made it into my show easily. But I am not going to the end of the alphabet since this is the final episode. So the thing is, the hard part with this is it's not the it's not picking the bands. It's picking the song by the band. Cause I only play one, you know, I can't fucking just, you know, I guess it'll be a, it'll be a mixture. And what I'm going to start with here is let's just go into Diamante Glass. You must be certain of the devil from her 1988 album. You must be certain of the devil. And this is one of the few female musicians, and actually I don't even really look at her as a female musician. I just look at her as fucking untouchable musician. Freaking blows everything out of the goddamn water with her fucking voice, her, her, the fact that she's a multilingual, the fact that she plays fucking piano, like to the point where her knuckles are bleeding sometimes. <laughs> she's fucking amazing. And she's, people find her scary. And they should. <laughs> they don't get her. People don't understand what, what her, what she's about. 
I mean, she's intimidating, but and she's somebody else I've met multiple times. One of the sweetest fucking musicians I've ever met. So here we go. You must be certain of the devil by Diamanda Galas and Maigaria.
Welcome back to My Guria, and you were probably wondering, why would she mix Diamond Galas into The Who in that last clip? Clips, I should say. Well, quite simply, the fact that Diamond Galas is my favorite female vocalist, and I'd have to say Roger Daltrey is my favorite male vocalist. It's not that I don't think there's other good vocalists, obviously I do, but when I think of people that have a voice that's so powerful that it, it's almost unsettling with the with the abilities that they have. And, I mean, Diamanda is almost inhuman. And I'd actually have to say the same for Roger because, uh, well, when I saw The Who last year, I couldn't fucking believe he could still handle it. I mean, the guy is what? I think I was reading he's 76 years old now. Or maybe he was 76 when I saw him over a year ago. And I just couldn't fucking believe it. I couldn't believe how he could handle you know, that kind of powerful lead vocal at that age. I mean, he did sing The Real Me when I saw him. But what was really fucking just mind-blowing was when he sang Love Rain Over Me. I was like, holy fucking shit. The fucking scream he lets out in that. I don't know. I fucking almost, I think I almost pissed my pants a little bit. <laughs> Anyhow, since, yeah, I was saying this is our last episode of My Guria, I guess we could go into a movie review since I haven't done that yet. And uh, I've probably watched about nine or ten films since my uh, last episode, but the one I'm going to review is one that I revisited because I always revisit it on Christmas. This one is a little film called Elves from 1989, and it's uh, considered a horror film. The star of this film, well, actually the star of the film is this character, her name is Kirsten. She's the kind of focal point, but the only recognizable person in this film with a main lead role, would be Dan Haggerty, who played Grizzly Adams back in the life and times of the Grizzly, whatever that show was back in the 70s, Grizzly Adams. The guy that kind of looks like a grizzly bear himself. And uh, Elves is a, how do I fucking put it, other than the fact that it's a, uh, it is such a trashy film, but I fucking love this piece of shit, which is why I've probably watched it at least four times already. I probably discovered it about four years ago, and I've watched it around Christmas every year since then. And it's kind of weird because I think I used to watch Bad Santa every year at Christmas, and I know this year I just wasn't I wasn't in the mood for it. I wanted to watch something, I guess, even more... I don't know. I don't know, I don't know what my problem was. Because, oh, by the way, it is after Christmas when I am recording this episode. And, okay, so Elves with Dan Haggerty. Now, the plot of this film, it's it kind of focuses on this character named Kirsten, who she has, she comes from a family that are clearly of German descent. <laughs> and she lives with her mother, who looks like a fucking drugged up version of Deborah Harry, but dressed in prim and proper clothing, who's a total cunt. And her grandfather, who's... German, who was apparently an ex-Nazi, but didn't tell the family that. And she has a younger brother. I think his character's name was Willie or something. He's not even in it that much, but he's got some good, funny one-liner parts that I found pretty fucking funny. Anyhow, Kirsten, she's got these two kind of airheaded friends. She's like the, the the more, I guess, intelligent of the three. She has this sort of, um, she's got this artistic skill where she starts drawing things that come to her in dreams 
and her and her two friends uh, go out in these woods that she's told she's never supposed to go in the woods behind her house or whatever. And she goes out there. I guess she sort of does like some kind of half-assed seance or something. I don't know what the fuck they were doing. They're just fucking around. You know, dumb teenage girl shit with a, with a candle in the woods. And uh, the candle holder ends up breaking and it slices open her hand. So she bleeds and it, it, it gets on the ground. That's the start of the problems. Apparently, what what that does, it's some kind of sacred ground. It awakens what is essentially... I, it's supposed to be an elf. <laughs> I It looks more like, I don't know, a troll. I don't know what the fuck it is. It's supposed to be an elf. So it awakens this elf that has been apparently cast into the underground from some spell that had taken place before Kirsten was born. So, you know, she comes home and... Her grandfather suspects that she was in the woods. And this guy's in a wheelchair. He's like, where you been? Blah, blah, blah. And just slaps her in the face. I'm just like, what the fuck? I mean, this girl is like kind of like treated like, not kind of, is treated like shit by her family. Her mother is just awful to her. And the only thing she kind of has going for, I guess the thing that she cares about, she's got a little black cat. Well, anyhow, later in the night, this elf breaks in attacks the younger brother, doesn't kill anybody, escapes before anything can happen. And the, kid, the little kid's saying, yeah, it's a fucking little green guy that got me. And of course, he being a little kid, no one believes him. So the mother automatically suspects because the kid's got like a scratch on him. The girl's cat must have done it. So this bitch kills this woman. This woman kills her cat the next day while she's at work. And she works at this really shitty department store. I don't know where the fuck this is supposed to be, but it's like, it is the most like downtrodden looking department store she like works in the mm, i don't know sandwich shop type of thing in it and uh so apparently what was what was happening is like she woke she woke this like green fucking elf that is attracted to her and starts following her around so she's working at the at this stupid store and in comes the dan haggerty's character he's this guy that used to apparently do used to be a cop and then he apparently used to be a fucking store security, but then he became a drunk and had to go to jail and he's out of jail and he's just kind of trying to get his life back together, get a job. So, you know, typical fucking down on your luck kind of character who means well, but is, you know, essentially a loser. Every fucking scene in this film, Dan Haggerty is smoking. I mean, no matter where he goes, a library, smoking, department store, smoking, like places that even back in the 80s when this stupid shit was filmed, you're not supposed to smoke in. This, he was just smoking everywhere. No one, the only part of the film he was giving shit about smoking is that some kind of later in the film, he walks into a museum or university and somebody yells at him about it. It doesn't seem to sway him. <laughs> so he's like kind of bullshitting with the department store manager who's a like fucking prick about trying to get a job back or whatever. So anyhow... The, the girl, Kirsten, and her two dumb friends, they have some plan about, like, I don't know, camping out at the department store, I guess the next night or whatever, to get some boys in there so they can, you know, get laid or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because they're all teenagers, it's st- stupid shit. So they're like, oh, well, let's go mess with this, the department store Santa, because, you know, some loser or whatever. So she walks up to the, you know... Santa sits on his lap and he got the guy sexually assaults her in some kind of way. She slaps him and you know, guy's fucking fired or whatever. So he's like trots off back to the his dressing room. And there apparently the the troll excuse me, not the troll, the elf was waiting for him and just like 
stabs him to death and, and, and just cuts him right in his fucking nutsack. <laughs> Guy bleeds out and dies. He's discovered by, like, one of the sort of Santa Claus helper teenage girls that work there or whatever. I don't know. So there's a murder that, that takes place in the store, yet the store doesn't close down. That's the fucking funny part. Like, if this was, like, a real murder investigation, this this, this, this shit... I mean, can't, you can't even really think about this in fucking any kind of... um logical reasoning there, there's no logical reasoning in this film of how the events unfold so she's questioned about the murder she's a suspect because the guy sexually harassed her and she smacked him so obviously they think she's got some kind of vendetta anyhow she comes home late from work and her mom's giving her shit and you know said something about closing her bank account and keeping all the money she made for herself just a bunch of just a bunch of shit and like Things just start happening, you know, as far as, like, she can't find her cat, obviously, because the mom killed it. Mom's a fucking psycho. Grandpa's a psycho. Oh, yeah, I forgot. There's a kind of this old German mob that kind of shows up to corner the grandfather who has, like, all these uh, rune stones and stuff where he sits there. Everyone's suspicious that the elf has been awakened. So why is why why were these Germans interested in an, an elf being, like a, like, a spell being cast? Well, because... It ties in with the fact that apparently fucking Nazis believed in elves. <laughs> and they, they play off of that saying that they, apparently they were supposed to, Nazis, the grandfather being a Nazi was conspiring to make a master race of like half elves, half humans to, you know, become like the perfect soldiers or something like that. But there's so much more shit that goes on in this dumb film that I can't even get into all of it, but it is so fucked up and just just hints of i wouldn't even say hints there's all this uh okay let's just say there's okay there's nazis there's a killed mall santa there's killing of a cat there's a little brother spying on his older sister to look at her boobs (laughs) there's incest there's attempted rape there's monster rape in this film but you don't actually really see anything this is such a fucking ridiculous film oh yeah of course you know, racial purity because of the fucking Nazi conspiracy shit. This movie, it's really, it's cringe inducing, but it is so, it sounds, I mean, in the way I'm describing it, it makes it sound like there's more depravity to see in this film than there actually is. It's all implied, but it's, <laughs> I don't know, it's just fucking terrible. I have to say that if you like watching trashy films, <laughs> This one, I mean, the thing is, you could find this whole film on on uh, YouTube. It's not on Prime or fucking Netflix or any shit like that. If you look up Elves in 1989, there is more than one copy that's been uploaded on onto YouTube. Because I don't think this movie, I'm not sure, I could be wrong, I don't think it was ever released on DVD. And, I don't know, this is one that every time I watch it, I almost forget how, how fucking funny it is. Even though it's not a comedy. I'm not telling you how it ends, just that if you want to watch something fucking ridiculous, and I mean fucking ridiculous, Elves, 1989, starring Dan Haggerty, it's worth your while. And that concludes this movie review on our last edition of My Guria. What's the difference between you and eggs? Yeah. 
eggs get laid, and you don't. really couldn't do an episode without actually playing at least one song by the Rolling Stones. And yeah, you're probably like, oh yeah, I've heard the fucking Stones a million times. But you know what? When it really comes down to it, I think the Stones, I can honestly say, were the first band I ever liked. But I didn't, you know, I was like under the fucking age of five. I mean, the first band I really, I would say, loved was the Kinks. But the Stones were so... They were everywhere in my life as a child. The Beatles were too, but you know what? And I don't give a fuck about the Beatles. I'm so fucking bored of their shit. I was bored then. But the Stones, I don't know. So maybe I was just fucking fucked up from birth where, I, I don't know, I liked their fucking raunchiness or something. But well, yeah, I do have a funny story that I will talk about. And I've, I've told pr- probably most of you that, are, that have fucking heard this story out of me, but I might as well tell it here, since it's a, it's a good one. Anyhow, when I was a child, my grandmother, she wasn't the nicest lady. This is my mother's mother. I didn't, I didn't know my father's mother. Anyhow, grandma, she was an opera singer. My mom's father was a stage actor, but he was also a singer too. But I never got to meet him. But I got to meet grandma. And grandma was a very uppity lady. She didn't approve of my mom's... I guess I wouldn't even see my mom was even that rebellious. She's just, my mom just fucking loved rock and roll and she looked like a hippie, but my mom wasn't one of those like dirty hippies. That's, I think that's a, really the distinction I have to make here. Cause our house didn't smell like fucking weed as a kid. It smelled like cigarettes. Cause my dad smoked like a fucking chimney, but it didn't, you know, we didn't have one of those like fucking, not that we were definitely not neat freaks, but we didn't, our house didn't smell like piss. And it didn't smell like, you know, fucking patchouli and underarms or any shit like that. I mean, my parents had friends that fucking stunk like that, but my, my parents didn't think the fuck Christ. Well, anyhow, back to what I was getting at with my grandma. Grandma did not come over and visit us that often. We always had to end up going over her place. But this one time she, I don't know why she stopped over. Cause here's the thing. I can't remember this story. I'm only going to reiterate what was told to me because it involves me and involves grandma and it involves the Rolling Stones. Let me get to that part. Anyhow, my grandmother, like I said, being an opera singer, you know, she came, she stopped by to visit my mom, I, I think probably unannounced. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was unannounced, which would be really odd, but that's how it happened. So I'm a toddler, you know, and I'm fucking bouncing around doing toddler shit. Whatever fucking toddlers do, you know, bouncing around, making fucking vocalizations and shit that don't make any sense and having a, you know a diaper with fucking turds falling out the fucking back of it or whatever and um I don't know I guess I was doing some I was singing my grandmother kind of stopped in the middle of her conversation with my mom she's like oh, oh oh she's a singer like me oh that's so adorable what song are you singing actually I should do her voice a little bit better but since my throat's sore uh, I, I can't really do the older opera lady voice that well today <laughs> So apparently I start singing a song and the song I was singing was Starfucker by the Rolling Stones. <laughs> and like I said, my grandmother was a very uppity, prim and proper operatic lady. I mean, she was a fucking, the, the, uh, the a walking diva. And she didn't quite understand what I said it when I said it or I sang it the first time or whatever. So I fucking sang it again. 
she realized what I was saying. And my mom was like almost in shock. Like she couldn't even react because like her mother already judged everything she fucking did anyway. So like here's her toddler singing fucking star, fucking star, fucking star. (laughs) Oh my God. My sister, she's five years older than I am. And... (laughs) She's the one who's, who's, who's probably the, the, the best teller of the story because she knew I was singing bad words and she didn't know how to like, you know, I didn't understand I was even singing anything at all. But it, it, she was trying to get me to stop because she knew grandma was like being around here was like walking on eggshells. But I apparently just proceeded to just bounce around and do, you know, fucking baby shit, whatever babies do or whatever, and, and just sing fucking star. So... <laughs> So I guess I like the stones for, since, I, since I was probably a fucking embryo or something. I don't know. But the song I'm going to play isn't, is, I'm not going to play Starfucker. I'm not, I'm not playing that one. Um, I don't even really like that one that much in, in hindsight. It's kind of, I mean, I love, I like it, but I like this one better. So the song I'm going to play is from uh, 1980. It's uh, Emotional Rescue. And why I fucking chose this one is because, god damn it, the Stones fucking did, when they get kind of weird, because they tend to have their same formula, but when they kind of venture off, you know, they kind of, they they, they, they kind of dip their toe in like a, a different genre. They don't go all the way. They don't have to. I admire that about them. So they were dipping their toe into disco here and, and, and maybe a bit of new wave indicative of what was kind of up and coming at the time. And of course they do it, they do it their way, but perfect. So here we go. 1980s Emotional Rescue by the Rolling Stones. Here at Bagaria.
back on my guria and 
Yeah, another strange juxtaposition of two bands that really have not much to do with one another. Uh, that would be, first, I obviously I talked at length before about the Rolling Stones. That was Emotional Rescue from their 1980 album, also called Emotional Rescue. And the song I played after that was a song that also came out in 1980, which is why I picked it, because I'm thinking, well, what could, what could I segue into here? That And I was talking about indicative of the times. And that song was 30 Frames a Second by Simple Minds from their 1980 album Empires and Dance. And there is a similar beat, I would say, in the last two songs that were played. And I would say that the Simple Minds one's a little, little faster. What could I say about Simple Minds? I haven't covered them yet in any of the shows I've done because, you know, their, their name of the band starts with S, so it was going to be further down the line. And it's kind of funny. Now, Simple Minds is a, is a band that I haven't liked my whole entire life. This is a band I decided I liked later in life. I mostly ignored them as, you know, the, they had, you know, their, their few hits in the United States in the mid-80s. And it wasn't that I didn't like the songs. It was just, you know, I got sick of hearing Don't You Forget About Me. But it was still a good song, but I, was, you know, I got tired of hearing it. And... You know, Sanctify Yourself was a decent song, and so was, uh, I mean, I liked Live and Kicking, but, you know, it, it just never really grew on me, and I didn't really pay attention to them thereafter, and then the thing is, the U.S., you know, that there really wasn't, you know, when I was a little kid, listening to the radio and watching MTV, there really wasn't a focus too heavily on uh, Simple Minds after their Once Upon a Time album. So I, the only thing I really knew about them honestly, was that Jim Kerr was married to Chrissy Hine, and I can't stand Chrissy Hine. That's about the ex extent I fucking knew about them. I, I really just didn't pay attention. And as far as anybody else that I, I knew or associated with, nobody seemed to like them beyond the, the songs I just mentioned. Like, nobody seemed to have another album of theirs beyond Once Upon a Time. And even later, um, when I kind of got around more people that were a little bit more on the same page as me as far as music goes. I don't think Simple Minds ever came up in a discussion ever. I don't think any of us thought twice about them to even say, oh yeah, it's whatever album's a great album. I had nothing to add. I didn't have anything by them. My mom had a greatest hits album of theirs, but I, I didn't. And I just sort of ignored them and didn't realize they were actually still an active band until about six years ago. And I really just kind of stumbled on their back catalog truly by accident. And it was just a whole fucking, a whole area that it was uncharted territory for me. And I just couldn't believe how this band had essentially seven albums out before Don't You Forget About Me. And those fucking seven albums are fucking awesome because <laughs> now I have them and I could say, you know, for sure <laughs> that I was fucking mad at myself for not seeking them out. You got to understand the way they were like presented to, to the United States audience really wasn't all that flattering. It's just, they kind of, you know, the slant was almost like, yeah, here's the Scottish U2. <laughs> Which is stupid because, I mean, okay, I guess they had some similarities, but they don't fucking sound anything alike. Except for the stuff that came out in the 90s when most of the main of the main band was you know gone at this point. 
So it was really, it's really just been whittled down to uh, Jim Kerr and Charlie Burchill at, at that point, and probably, you know, a thousand session musicians or whatever. I don't get into their 90s stuff. I, I, I gave it some listens, and I'm like, Neh. You know, I could see the, how the wheels came off at that point, but at the same time, it wasn't like they didn't have any promise that, that they could, you know, if they just took some time, regrouped or whatever, you know, they could have came back with something substantial. But I accidentally, you know, I was watching a channel, um, Radio Capital, which is an Italian video channel that I illegally stream, I guess. I wouldn't say illegal. I don't illegal, I don't illegally stream. I just I just have it as an M3U file and I stream it to my television along with Auto 8 FM, which is also an Italian video channel. And, you know, they play all the old shit that was popular in the 70s and 80s. And they were doing like a old versus new. And um, they played uh, a new Simple Minds video. And I was like, holy shit, these guys are actually still together. And I, from what I can tell, it was off of their Graffiti Soul album. See, now it's getting a little bit fuzzy because I was just sort of like, I don't think I was really listening to, to the new stuff right away. And then they went and they played the, the video for Love Song, which was off of their uh, Sons in Fascination slash Sister Feeling Call. Well, those are two separate albums that were put into one. And I just was watching this video. First of all, the video is fucking hilarious. It's like a group of... <laughs> I guess there's the band is sort of portrayed as these sort of like hoods or something. I don't know. And they show up at this uppity nightclub and just 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 cause the the people to you know clutch their pearls and just gasp, you know, and they just sort of disrupt the atmosphere or whatever. I mean, they're the most like unscary street gang I've ever seen in my fucking life. If that's <laughs> where this video was going, but the song was so fucking catchy. I was like. This is the same band? You know, I was just sort of like, where the fuck have I been? Why didn't I know this? And I started to kind of backtrack. It's like, nobody I knew ever fucking played any of this. And then when I was in my more or less like collecting, hoarding phase in the 90s, uh, they, they just never like came up, you know? They're just, I don't even think I ever heard them out in a nightclub ever. You know, I just, they were just not there. And I was like, as soon as I heard Love Song, I was like, what the fuck have I been missing? I just had to, I had to dive in head first. I was like, what, 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 what is with this band? How does this sound so different than, you know, well, anything beyond Don't You Forget About Me and any of the stuff that I heard in the 90s, which I do remember hearing or seeing a video for She's a River and Hypnotized. And I'll be honest, it's not my thing. I'm not going to take a big dump on it. It's not that it sucks. It's just that it's not, it's not their, it's not their strongest work to say the least. <laughs> but since then, they have gotten better. They've gotten way better, and it's remarkable that they seem to got, get their got their stride back. Probably, like I was saying, the album Graffiti Soul. I think that was the one that that was. I think around two thousand shit nine ish, maybe. I don't know. There's a, there's a big gap of time, but whatever. They're they're fucking earliest years between I believe 77 and 84 I could be could be off about this maybe 85 they had a succession of albums and every fucking one of them is great (laughs) and that song I played 30 frames a second 
it's a it's I wouldn't say it's the best song out of the bunch. In fact, their best album I definitely would to say is New Gold Dream. But that song, I don't know. I've been playing the shit out of that one for like the past six years. It just doesn't fucking it doesn't get doesn't get old, you know. But anyhow, let's move on. Let's play some other music before I just, you know, trail off too much into another fucking tangent here and the show goes on for fucking hours, which it's already <laughs> it's already over two hours probably at this point. But since the thing I was going to say, what, what could I play? What could I segue into from Simple Minds? Well, how about this? Since Simple Minds were from Scotland, um, Glasgow specifically, let's play another Glasgow entity. Somebody who actually became, who, who came before Simple Minds, and that would be the Sensational Alex Harvey Band. This is Gang Bang from 1973 from the next album here on by Gurria. Oh, oh, oh. 
What do you call a dictator who is also an environmentalist? Adolf Hipster. with my guria but we have come to the end of our show our series all that shit i'm just not gonna have time to do this anymore i apologize but also <laughs> it seems like you guys don't really have time to listen anyway so what can i do what can i say but i'm going to end the show with one more song and uh <laughs> It's about time I played something by this group because I keep fucking talking about them and that would be the Kinks. Of course, I would end this show with the Kinks. But what I'm going to play by the Kinks isn't the typical hit song. In fact, even the Kinks hit songs are fucking underrated. You know, they're okay. So yeah, they play You Really Got Me, All Day and All the Night, Lola, Tired of Waiting. You know, they play those things quite often. But the, the hits they had beyond that were always never huge hits and it's a shame because they were always so much more clever so much more interesting to listen to the lyrics are just like stories i mean they are stories almost like short stories but ballads because they are ballad stanza format and i feel like people who don't (laughs) don't appreciate the kinks well i don't care if you don't appreciate them because it just gives me more it just makes me like them even more but at the same time i think that the reason why somebody wouldn't appreciate them is because they only heard maybe two or three of those hits I mentioned and they were got, got sick of them. And that's a valid argument. But I think most people have not bothered beyond that. I mean, there are songs by the Kinks that people, okay, there's songs by the Kinks that people don't realize are by the Kinks. Like Ape Man is a good example. <laughs> I mean, for years I've heard people not know that that's by them or uh, Come Dancing or Low Budget or 
just various other songs by them. Well Respected Man, that's another one. I mean, one of their biggest old old songs, but most people don't even realize it's them. And if you didn't ever give the Kinks a chance, then that's your fucking loss. <laughs> I mean, if you don't have the curiosity beyond the few things you've heard, I get it. There's plenty of hit songs in this world by, you know, fill in the blank band that just suck. But the thing is, those hit songs never sucked by them. So if you're just not bothering to go beyond that, then, you know, fuck you. It's your fault. And I also feel like the Kinks are a band that are, they're actually too intelligent for most people to comprehend or listen to. I don't know how they can't relate because Ray Davies couldn't spell out the synopsis any fucking more than he already does. He's not even vague. He's actually very articulate. If you fucking paid attention, you'd know that. But if you haven't paid attention, like I said, fuck you. (laughs) Well, anyhow, with that in mind, the other thing I was going to say, I didn't mention this earlier than I should have, is that even though I'm still talking about the kinks, but I'm going to parallel the who with the kinks since they're of the same age are very, as far as, uh, as bands go, they kind of almost go hand in hand in a lot of ways, not just because they're from the British invasion, but the fact that like there's such a mutual admiration between the groups that they they're not even competitive. They're like, especially Pete Townsend and Ray Davies, they're they're both very much they respect each other very much. Definitely. As far as their abilities, I mean, Pete Townsend wrote a a lengthy forward in the recent re-release of the Village Green Preservation Society very, you know, outlining how much he appreciates them as a band. And, you know, some people are like, you know, I've seen circles, and either, this is even within Kinks fans or Who fans or whatever, that, you know, some people say, oh, well, if Ray Davies wrote Arthur first before Tommy, then like Pete Townsend was ripping off Ray Davies, or I've heard the vice versa. Neither of them are ripping off each other. They just happen to be two fucking create, very creative men that happen to be like encouraged at the right time to come up with these these sort of stories, these storylines, these storylines to work into a musical format. Back to what I was saying about with, uh, you know, I don't think most people are intelligent enough to like the kinks. I do definitely believe that, even though I've seen some real fucking morons at some of their shows just getting piss-faced drunk. But as far as The Who goes, yes, The Who definitely has more popular hits, have a, a wider audience. But here's something I have found. I found more people who are adamant about hating The Who. And all I can say about that is if you fucking hate The Who, okay, and if your reason is that you got sick of hearing their songs or whatever, or if you said something like Pinball Wizard was a stupid song or whatever, did you ever fucking bother listening to Tommy from beginning to end? Because if you didn't, then shut the fuck up because it's, it's, it shouldn't have been a hit, really. It was taken out of context and doesn't make sense outside of the, outside of Tommy. If any song off of Tommy that should have been a hit, probably, and it was a hit, but it wasn't as big of a hit as Pinball Wizard was, I'm free because that's about the only song in the entire album that was ambiguous enough to not just be tied to the, the rock opera itself. And I guess the same could be said for, you know, Victoria off of Arthur well, that's the thing. That was the only, the only seems to be the, that seems to be the only Kinks rock opera that maybe anybody gave a shot to. And even that's limited and it's fucking sad. But what I'm going to play when I'm going to end this, this uh, podcast series with is I'm going to play a Kinks song probably from their era that is the most underrated. And, and the Kinks across the board are extremely underrated. I mean, they are one of the most fucking underrated underdog bands in the fucking history of music. Aside, even if they weren't underdogs, they'd still be too intelligent for most. But having the underdog side to them gives them, I think that gives them more of an edge. They're a little more relatable because they, Ray Davies writes about the plight of a regular fucking person often. 
even if it's not him. You know, it's not always, all his songs are not just about him and his feelings. He he's a, he's an observer. And uh, I'd say Pete Townsend's more writing about himself, but when he's gone into the context of, say, like the rock operas or whatever, he's he's more in the third person. There's bits of his own story in there, but he's definitely writes it more in the third person. Ray tends to o- almost always write in the third person that sounds like it's coming from the first person. That's not easy to do. Anyhow, before I go on too far here, I'm ending this series, like I said, with a King song that is extremely underrated because the album albums, the concept albums they came from, comes from this this concept from a concept album is what I should kind of say here, is from 1973, there was uh, two. There was a succession of two Kinks albums: Preservation One, well, Preservation Act One, and Preservation Act Two the following year. And they're also a story, and you know that from beginning to end, and they continue. And they were so fucking panned by critics, and that's just a fucking shame because there's some, there's so much, there's so much vision in in these two albums. But the one song that kind of ties the whole theme together is just the song called Preservation. So that's where I'm ending my final edition of my agree with is 1973's Preservation by the Kinks on my agree. I hope you enjoyed it.
and money is evil, and power is corrupt. The devil moves in and takes over. Mr. Flash broke his word, and now he's got to pay for his crimes and his lies and his evil ways. Yeah.